Welcome to NFT Rebels, the podcast where technology, creativity, education, and non-fungible experiences meet each other. It's me, Annie Alexander, and in each episode, me and the Rebels will have a real unscripted talk, share genuine opinions, and show raw emotions. Should we start? Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the NFT Rebels. Um, today, it's going to be yet another unscripted conversation. I'm super happy to welcome Mark Flavel on, on the studio. And um, for those of you who don't know him, he's the founder and CEO of Big Hat Club. But also, he's been a co-founder of Dapper Labs and also the creator of uh, CryptoKitties. So welcome and um, very happy to have you over. How are you thank doing? You, thank you. Thank you. I am good. I'm good. I got a fruit bowl and coffee. Gonna win. Nice. Nice. It means that we're all ready to roll here. So um, good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I guess... Um, Probably the 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 usual question I start with, with for everyone. The sphere is still so early that everyone has their own stories of how they've got into it. And obviously, in your case, uh, you started way earlier than most of the people who are watching this now. So, what was your story of getting into this? Uh, many years ago, I worked at a company called Axiom Zen. And we were an innovation foundry before that was a thing. I mean, it's still not a thing. But, we, you know, I think the tagline was a startup that starts startups. And we were spinning out multiple products and turning some of them into businesses, some of them successfully, some of them not. And uh, it was the summer of 2017, which was the shitcoin summer. Everybody was doing an ICO. It was crazy. Uh, and at Axiom Zen, you know, we were building like, literally enterprise SaaS software used by Microsoft and used by massive companies and things. But we also built consumer apps, just like playful, foolish little things. And that was my domain because I'm good at playful, foolish little things. <laughs> and so uh, I, I've been building dozens of apps in the last year or two while I was working there and none of them did any good. And uh, Roham, who was one of the two co-founders at Axiom Zen, him and his brother Sam, Roham said to me, I need you to make the blockchain fun. And I said something along the lines of, I need you to fuck off because that's a dumb idea. That like, why would we ever do that? Nobody likes the blockchain. We're just libertarian and anarchist, neck beards and mouth breathers. We don't, we don't need to do that. And he was like, it's cute that you have an opinion, but... Uh, why don't you go ahead and do what I told you since you work here? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's probably a good idea. Uh, so I went away and tried to think about how you would make the blockchain fun. I'm kind of good at fun. Wasn't so good at blockchain. But um, I, at the time, because I was building all those consumer apps, I'd figured out that you should use cats and everything. They are opt-out, not opt-in. You should just, like, start with cats if you're building consumer applications and then explain why you're taking them away if you're going to. And also, I saw, oh, also gardening games. I always want to build a gardening game. Plant the seed, wait, water it, nurture it. Different color mm -hmm. flowers come out. You don't know what kind of flowers. Maybe birds and bees visit. You don't know what kind of birds or bees you can collect, what kind of bird song. I really want to make a game about bird songs. And uh, I saw CryptoPunks. And I was like, oh, shit. That's like, I totally want one of those. Uh, I remember sending a message to Fabiano, who was early on the team, about how can we got be CryptoPunks. Uh, but those three things came together, and I went back to work, and I put, I think, Fabiano and Pierre in a room, and I was like, guys, we're going to take cats, and we're going to take gardening games, and we're going to take CryptoPunks, and we're going to make cats fuck on the blockchain. It's going to be a game. It's going to be awesome. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. And I was like, well, good thing you guys are so smart, because you can figure it out. And uh, then we wrote Dieter into it, and Dieter eventually came along. And I think, I think at one point I'd said, I know at one point I'd said, let's make a game where, you know, the cat sex creates Bitcoin. Somehow we're going to mine Bitcoin through this. And Dieter was like, dude, that's like, that doesn't make any sense. You're just, you're just smashing words together. But uh, there's a blockchain called Ethereum, and on Ethereum, 
I could create a new standard, and by I, him at we, and, and it was a group of people, but he was certainly the the head chef, uh, said I could create a new standard, and that's where ERC721 came from, because he was like, it'd be cool if it wasn't just us that built on top of this, but if other people were able to build on top of these as well. And he invented the word NFT, which is hilarious to me, uh, to describe those things, and that's how I got into... So, so we made CryptoKitties, and that's how I got into NFTs. Nice. That's um, that's a super interesting um, story because I remember those times back in you know 2017, um, the whole ICO boom. I, I've I've been through the whole ICO journey. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, through the whole process from start to finish. And I remember that at those times when you know the ICOs were just kind of you know going along and people were participating in those and the gas fees were an issue and everything else i remember everyone complaining like what's gonna what's happening like these kitties are are clogging the whole thing like you know they are breaking ethereum we can't really operate there and it was very very interesting that you know it it to to me from a side looker it it grew massively like in such a short period of time like it became the big thing that everyone spoke about right it it organically grew so fast that everyone was paying attention even if it didn't t- make sense to them, right? Yep. So, so I think it it definitely worked uh, really well in terms of making it fun because people were having fun uh, breeding those crypto kitties for sure. the uh, The other thing that was very interesting to me as a marketer was we definitely did have this challenge of you know explaining technology in a more simple uh, manner, uh, making it more human, and making the masses understand it and relate to it somehow. Right. Uh, And up to CryptoKitties, there has never been done anything which would attract the non-crypto people over. And I remember that, you know, I I knew many people who actually their first entry point to that whole ecosystem were the CryptoKitties, which was very interesting to me because they had to go through the same process of getting a wallet and getting Ethereum and everything else. And they were doing it without any, any problem or, you know, any complaints. While if you were asking to do exactly the same for something else, uh, then there was become, it was becoming a problem. So, so definitely, I mean, it, it did contribute to the adoption for sure. Uh, really, really fun. So, so let's talk about that time. I mean, you definitely made blockchain fun. You definitely attracted many people to it. Uh, the game was something everyone spoke about and participated and was having fun. Um, and obviously, uh, I mean, I don't know what, I, I wasn't really part of the community per se, but like, was there a community around it? And how oh, did yeah. you actually like, what was happening in there in that community? Like, you know, how did you keep it uh, healthy, so to speak? Because, you know, communities can go both ways, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, they do and they did. Um, so we launched at, we launched an alpha before the website was ready, before it was even on chain. We just, like, I think it was on Rinkby. I know it was on Rinkby. So we launched a demo version, essentially, a very, 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 Slim down MVP at ETH Waterloo, which was like like ETH Denver, like one of you know long before NFT NYC, when lots of people would get together in New York, nerds would get together in places like Waterloo and like do shit. And uh, we launched the alpha there, like I said, because we knew basically every major figure in Ethereum would be there. We figured it was a good way to get their attention, and. Um, a Telegram group. Actually, I don't think it came from that. We'd already started Telegram group. People weren't using Discord as much. Uh, yeah. And so Telegram was the thing. Again, all those ICOs, the like communities, very air quotes on that shit, were happening in, uh, in Telegram. And so we created a Telegram group that was just a ton of fun. Uh, in the way that these communities can be when people are excited and worked up and eager and looking forward to something. And um, that had a thousand people in it before the day before we launched. And then immediately, well, I don't know, but essentially immediately after we launched, there was a Reddit page, there was a Discord, there's a bunch of other things, and we didn't create any of them. Uh, We basically weren't smart enough. 
the community did that and the community self-organized into discord and then we're like oh shit okay and they were cool so the people handed us the reins back for the discord they'd created and we're like oh man thank you like we probably should have done that uh, but but it wasn't obvious at the time. Like we didn't know that everybody would. There, you know, it's not like there was a bunch of other NFT projects organized in Discord where we were like, "Oh, we should go do that as well." Um, we probably had the first NFT Discord. I never thought about that before. God, I wish we'd done something different. Uh, but we probably had the first NFT Discord, and it was, I mean, for the first like X period of time, loosely, if you played CryptoKitties, you made money. Like that was. That was what happened. That was not, to be honest, what we had designed it for, but that was a true statement. And the thing about, um, again, air quotes on communities is that if they're getting rich, they're always very nice. And if they're getting poor, they are usually very not nice. And so for the longest time, the CryptoKitties Discord was the happiest place on the internet. It was fucking cool. All these people were trading pictures of cats having sex, making thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, it sounds like an Alice in Wonderland dream. And it was fun. It was lucrative and it was fun. And then <laughs> the price stopped going up and uh, it was less fun. But it was still cool. And we had some amazing people. We hired people out of the community. Jordan, D Jordan, who runs Doodles, Jordan and Evan run Doodles. They both work at Dapper. We hired Jordan because he was a CryptoKitty super player. And now he's like the boss at Doodles. Uh, that's a cool <laughs> journey. Uh, yeah, you never know where things will lead you to, right? Like a one random thing can can completely change the trajectory of your, of your life and of your career and everything else. So it's just, you know, one turning point and then, yeah. Yeah, and CryptoKitties was that surreal moment for a lot of people, that surreal thing for a lot of people. It's very strange. You're like, oh, yeah, no, cartoon cats are going to breed online and this is going to uncork an industry that is worth billions of dollars and change... I don't know how many thousands of people's lives. Yeah, so the crypto kitties. Um, a question. I always wondered this, and I'm not really sure what was the reason behind it. But you mentioned crypto punks and crypto kitties. Both of them were more or less, uh, you know, in the same period. Both of them were quite popular. Uh, but later on, when we go years later and look at today's situation and, you know, what happened with the punks and where the kitties are. Uh, what was, like, what do you think was different or, you know, why these two projects had a completely different sort of outcomes years later? Was it because CryptoKitties had unlimited supply? So or? Yeah, it's an unlimited supply thing. CryptoKitties are uh, more interesting than crypto punks they are also um far less scarce and they're also not the original originals like you know the only nft on ethereum that matters that is not a 721 is crypto punks like crypto kitties legacy is huge and amazing and incredible but it's not the original original crypto punks are the and even like you can get into it with NFT historian nerds who will argue about what was first first. But CryptoPunks are generally assumed to be the first. And mm -hmm. so they've got um, that historical legacy value from that. Uh, but they're boring. And I would argue, I don't know. Uh, they're boring just because they don't, don't do anything. Like they are collectibles. Nobody's doing any dumb shit like pretending to have roadmaps or utility or all these other shenanigans. There was mm -hmm. no community. They couldn't give those things away. They literally could not give them away for a long, long time. Matt and the other guy. Yeah, were I remember like, that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, there's only 10,000 of them. And so that versus 2 million, it's, it's, it's much easier to understand why one is scarcer than the other. Uh, and they weren't interesting economically for a really long time. Remember I said Jordan was from Doodles? Jordan, uh, Jordan's from Doodles now, but before that, Jordan was from a thing called Kitty Calc. Before we hired him into CryptoKitties and Dapper, him and a guy named Alan, who's, as far as I know, the still lead game designer, or maybe not, but probably still the lead game designer on Top Shot, an incredible human being, one of the smartest people I've ever met, and they worked together to build Kitty Calc before they got hired at Dapper, and... Um, And where the gosh darn heck was I going with that? Oh, I used to call Alan once every four months. I'd send him an email. I'd be like, hey, man, is my CryptoPunk worth anything yet? And he'd always <laughs> laugh and be like, no, dude. <laughs> no, dude. 
He always said that to me. And I hadn't talked to him for a while. And in January of 2021, so like 18 months ago, he emailed me and he was like, hey, you should like check out the price of your CryptoPunk. And I was like, huh? What the fuck are you talking about? And now I, it's the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like literally years of me being like, now, now, now. And him being like, no, man. Like you bought a cool piece of art. Just appreciate it. That's fine. Enjoy it. Oh, fine, whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess for some reason I thought those would do well because I, I you could go find the emails of me, one line emails just being like, is it, gonna, is, it, is it big yet? Is it big yet? And the answer always being no. Until, like I said, uh, he reached out to me and was like, um, you should check. And that was January. And that was the beginning from, for a lot of people, that was the beginning of this run of madness that we're either still on or have come out of the other side of now, depending on your perspective. <laughs> nice. Okay, so since you mentioned Dapper Labs, let's just you know, slowly segue to that. Yeah. And I was really, it was really interesting for me because like I didn't really know that you were involved in both, right? Before we, you know, before we, we started speaking initially for this podcast. And, um, but the interesting thing is like, I, I, I totally had sort of, you know, noticed that just like CryptoKitties brought in, you know, non-crypto people, and this was their first introduction to the space. Um, that's what Dapper Labs di did with Top Shots, bringing people in to the NFT space. Because I know many people who, for whom Top Shots were their very first NFT, and who later on discovered Board Apes and all these others yeah. uh, later on after you know, coming into top shots. So, um, so apparently like, you know, that element of, of doing things which are really close to real life, so to speak, and, and that resonate, you know, closely to the average Joe is something that, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're really good at. So Dapper Labs was the, uh, was it the next thing after CryptoCuties that you got involved in? Yeah, we made CryptoCuties at Axiom Zen and it, did really well, you know, like you said, 25% of all transactions on Ethereum were either buying or breeding cats and everything was crazy. And, uh, you know, I exaggerate, but loosely every VC on earth came to us. And this was interesting for me because I've been trying to like do this shit for like, you know, a long time without much success. And uh, get ready to go down to San Francisco and pitch and walk down Sand Hill Road, almost literally, nobody actually walked down Sand Hill Road, but almost. And uh, and now these VCs were flying up to us. I was like, oh, shit. Welcome to Canada, motherfucker. Like, this is new. Uh, and But everybody just wanted to give us money. Every, you know, like, ICOs, blockchain, it was so white hot. And we'd solve consumer, which is not true. But that was the story that people were telling themselves about what we were doing in blockchain. And so everybody came up there, um, tried to give us a bunch of money. We took money from our favorites. And instead of putting into Axiom Zen, which was already a complicated and interesting business, we created a new company called Dapper. Roham was like, hey, I want you to be the co-founder and the chief creative officer at Dapper. And we're going to take this giant pile of money. Well, it wasn't a giant. We're going to take this small pile of money and we're going to put it in the new business. And we're going to go bring blockchain to a billion people. We're going to go do consumer blockchain at scale. People don't even use the word Web3. It didn't exist yet. And so that's where Dapper came from. We're like, shit, all right, start a new business. And that was sort of like in January, you know, CryptoKitties launched at the end of November. And in January, February, Dapper was formed and funded and we were off to the races. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, uh, again, as I said, many people discovered this whole space through Dapper Labs, um, through Top Shots. Um, and it's very interesting that... Um, Many people, I, I guess, like those who didn't really dive into and got into other collectibles, uh, must probably don't even like you know have that real complete understanding about the NFTs and about the space, even though they have top shots, right? That's kind of I, I think that's that's one of those elements. People keep saying that you know we will get mass adoption only when people use the blockchain without realizing that they are actually using the blockchain and it doesn't have the spotlight and it's just the technology underneath that. But that's not the the actual hero of it's the not project. Not what people are right? talking about. Nobody talks about location based apps. My first gaming company was a location based games company. And even back then, we're like, if we succeed, nobody's going to talk about location-based games. They're just going to talk about games. You don't talk about location-based apps. You don't say, 
oh, I need to call my location-based Uber and have it call me. Like at some point when a technology goes truly mainstream and it's ubiquitous, it becomes assumed. People also don't talk about how a Cadillac converter works. I don't even think they have them in cars anymore. But there's a bunch of shit in your car that you don't know how it works and you don't need to and nobody thinks you need to. All these people who say, like, everybody's got to learn how to code now. It's the new reading and writing. No, it's fucking not. It's cool. I wish I could code. And, like, if my kids chose to learn how to be engineers, software engineers, I'd be thrilled for them. That'd be a very cool life path, probably. But we don't all need to learn how to code, just like we don't all need to learn how to fly the airplane that we are going to ride in. It's fine to just be a passenger, not a pilot in some of these things. Uh, and I don't think everyone needs to understand all the intricacies of blockchain. I think that for blockchain to achieve its full potential, people need to start trust the trustlessness. The interoperability needs to be real. Like there's a couple of core components of what makes blockchain really interesting that we want to be mass adoption. We want to be assumed. And then we never want to talk about them again. We just want it to be the new normal. That would yeah. be excellent. No, I totally agree with you. That that that's unfortunately, I mean, I think that the problem here is that like most of the projects in the space don't think that way, right? They don't really kind of, you know, detach those two elements of the tech actually and then the human story or the human benefits of what they actually are building. Well, uh, it can be right? too early to do it too. Like we at Big Head Club did a Ghostbusters project for Ghostbusters Afterlife, the movie, which came out almost a year ago. And we made mini puffs, which are these little characters from the movies. And if you love Ghostbusters, they're cute and collectible and like, that's awesome. Also, there was never before seen technology locked inside those NFTs. And before we, we, we made those NFTs, we didn't even see the movie. But the director, Jason, said to me, he's like, listen, there's sort of an infinite number of these little guys. And they're sadistic. And they feel no pain. And they move in packs. They move in packs. That's really their underlying thing. And we're like, okay, well, <laughs> let's do something interesting with that. So we made the NFTs. And then we made 500 more, and they move through the wallet of anybody who already owns a Ghostbuster, uh, a mini puff. So there's this other NFT that will just come into your wallet, and we found a way. I won't even pretend to explain how this works. I am the kitty, not the crypto part of crypto kitties. But we found a way to leave the wallet, the, the NFT in your wallet for 250 blocks at the most, which is like 44 minutes on average. And then if you haven't claimed it, it jumps to the next wallet. And the only uh -huh. way you could claim it is if you had a ghost trap NFT from us. So we made those for free. And so you had to have a mini buff in your wallet for the other one to visit you. It was like a beacon. And then you had a ghost trap and you could capture it. And it was so cool. And literally the world's never seen technology like this. And nobody fucking knows or cares. Because all they talk about is the Ghostbuster part of it. So, so there's a time where I want this technology to be ubiquitous and unspoken of and assumed. But I don't want it not to be now. Most people, <laughs> most people now who are buying NFTs on Ethereum do have some understanding or at least a strong goddamn opinion about what NFTs can and should be. And, you know, we're at this interesting point where, especially on Ethereum, we're not ready for mass adoption. Like the technology, the ecosystem, the community is not ready for mass adoption. And so if you go and, in fact, jump that wave too early, jump that shark and go to the mainstream, you can got with your pants down. The whole world looked at this and was like, why, mm. why would I want to hang out with these people they're weird yeah. they're mean they're blah 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 and so that ubiquitous world of the technology being assumed is how this goes like the biggest form of pop but along the way we might not be ready for that yet maybe we should still be talking about the technology so people understand the technology to to set up the foundation first and, and yeah the i would argue the foundation here is not yeah um, no i strong get it. enough to sustain the world yet yeah, got it. Uh, Dapper Labs projects are on the Flow blockchain, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Okay, so was that is it like more scalable, or is it like more tailored for masses to come in? Yeah, is very that much so. The reason we so when we made CryptoKitties, we sort of came to the conclusion that there was three problems as to why CryptoKitties wasn't going to be on Walmart shelves and like just going to be the biggest brand ever. We was running around calling it the Mario of Web3 gaming. Again, the word Web3, no. But we'd say, oh, it's the Mario of blockchain gaming. It's the Mickey Mouse of blockchain animation. This is like the beginning of everything. And it wasn't. But uh, we identified three problems. One was uh, accessibility. Like the, the MetaMask, the Coinbase, the KYC, all of those things. That sucks. It's hard. It's, it's better now. 
it was even much harder back then, like very dial-up days of the internet, very hard to use. So accessibility was one problem. Um, scalability was another problem. Like we had 10,000 people messing with CryptoKitties, maybe 30,000 or something, but not a huge number of people. And uh, and it melted the network, right? So so how are you going to say you're going to bring 7 billion people to a blockchain that can't handle 20,000 cat enthusiasts? Like that doesn't make any sense. So there was accessibility and scalability and then content. It doesn't matter if you have an accessible, scalable blockchain if nobody gives a fuck because you haven't built anything they like. So we started Dapper and we said, we're going to have a three-pronged approach. We're going to solve scalability by building our own blockchain, which was Flow. And we're going to solve accessibility by building the Dapper wallet, first on Ethereum and then on Flow. And we're going to solve content. Mac, you go figure out how to do that. And so that was like, of the three legs of the stool, I was supposed to be the content guy. And so that's what we did. And uh, yeah, and Flow is designed, I mean, I should not sit here and try and give engineering lectures or anything, but the idea was, the idea that I always took away from it was that you just need different kinds, not just, the big insight was different kinds of nodes. Like every node on uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, every node in Ethereum does exactly the same thing. They are all identical. But the lesson of Ford on his assembly lines was specialization. Let me do one thing and get really good at it. And then you do one thing, get really good at it. And you do one thing. And so Flow has like four different types of nodes and some of them do heavy compute transactions and some of them, many of them are very lightweight and just validate or some shit. I, again, I should not give lectures on this, but uh, it was designed for being able to process as many transactions as Visa. As far as I remember, that was the actual target. It was like Visa does this many transactions a second on a global network scale. We want to be the global entertainment blockchain. We need to be able to do loosely that many transactions. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, I, I think the other element with, with, for example, Top Shots is that, you know, uh, we're, as again, like, you know, no talks about the technology, but lots of sort of, you know, sentimental stuff and emotional stuff and things related to memories, things related to passion, things related to what people actually care about and just tapping into that right uh, so it's by default people were already resonated to the whole thing by default they already were kind of you know there for for this thing um you kind of i don't know designed it in a way that it was easy for them just to go and get it which was like you know the the, the main takeaway there um so dapper labs obviously is is uh yeah, is hugely successful in the field, um, obviously. Uh, so, uh, so we're just you know keep on progressing. Chronology, from, yeah, time is linear. Yeah, from from CryptoKitties to Dapper Labs, and and um, what was your transition from Dapper Labs to BCAD? Uh, what happened there, kind of thing? I mean, uh, as much as you're comfortable. Oh, I talk about shit. I don't care. Uh, the truth will set you free. Uh, I quit. I I thought they were going to fuck everything up. And I said to Rohan, I told him two things. I'm like, one, you need to fire half the people here because we have not figured this out. I know a ton of people in the city. These are brilliant people, but like we have not figured this out and we cannot continue to spend money at this rate having not figured this out. Uh, we're spending money like we're throwing gasoline on the fire, but we're still in the kindling phase. And he was like, nope, you're wrong. I was like, okay, well then put me in charge of basketball because it's probably in charge of top shot because this project has no vision, has no leadership. It needs somebody to guide the ship through the dark night. And so put me in charge. And again, he was like, nope, no way, man. And I was like, yeah, fine. And after a while, I was like, I've just lost faith. I don't think we're going to do this. I think you're going to, I think you're going to fuck this all up. I think all these people are going to get fired and not be taken care of. And I don't want to be here for that. So I quit. And so I quit, and I went back to making video games, because that's what I normally do. And then they made Dapper and Top Shot wildly successful, uh, which was awesome. <laughs> just would have been, you know, more fun if I had had the ego and greed associated with it. It's not just the greed. And uh, so then I went and made video games for a while, and then I got back into NFTs. I started a company called Big Head, and now we make strange and marvelous NFTs that stand the test of time. Today, we last night, we dropped Kitsune, the companion for Oni Ronin, my favorite NFT we've ever made. And this morning, in two hours, we're dropping our next Jim Carrey art piece. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I saw that Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. 
that's 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 wonderful so so basically um ju- just to sort of you know un- uncover this a little bit more uh so the big hat club is a studio that makes different nft collections do i understand it correctly we're trying to figure out what we do we've made three different pfp collections we've done a couple other weird little drops we've partnered with artists that we really love jim carrey string bean uh and we have a little game coming soon we we use nfts to explore the future and make sure to make enough money doing it that we can keep exploring the future and that's like cool fun weird work that we get to do we help big brands come on chain we're helping a couple on-chain brands get off the blockchain and understand how maybe the world outside of nft nerds could care about what they do we we just play in this space like i said make some money along the way and that's been working reasonably well for us to be honest Nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit because it's it's very relevant to what you're doing at the moment. I mean, let's talk about, we briefly touched the mass adoption part, but let's talk about mass adoption and sort of, you know, building communities. Because I feel like, you know, these days, like communities is like these buzzwords that everyone uses, but then every person has a different vision of what it actually means. Uh, and, you know, some people may just, you know, buy members on discord or you know buy twitter likes or whatever or or end up bribing the community with tokens and just getting them over or whatever right so there are many different things that may look like a community but like you know they're are they really you never know right so um how important is the role of the genuine you know, real community for this NFT project and uh, and how to build that, the real one, right? The genuine one that will be with you no matter whether you mentioned for CryptoKitties, for example, that, you know, everyone was happy as, as long as they were making money and then everyone get mad because um, it wasn't anymore. And it's the same with the collectibles, right? With, with the PFP projects, like everyone is happy when the floor price goes up and then everyone is super uh, unhappy and mad uh, and frustrated when it goes down. So uh, how do you think one should approach the communities uh, that that are not so dependent on actual price movement and and really care about the project and the team and kind of, you know, have a real relationship that is independent from the price? Or is it even possible? I'm not sure that it's possible. I have seen evidence that it might be possible. Um, yeah, like the word community, the way it's used inside the NFT space is a perversion of the word community as used in many of the contexts. It's not the same thing. Um, it doesn't even look very similar if you unsquint your eyes. If you squint your eyes, it's like, oh, there's a group of people who are using words that are similar. That must be a community. Bug um, me, GM. <laughs> Not my favorite. I have never typed GM in my life. And at this point, I won't. It's like a thing I have. Uh, But I'm not the most popular person in NFTs, let me tell you. Uh, So I think there are projects that do a very good job. I think, but I don't know. Because I also don't spend any time in Discord. Like, I'm a shitty DGM, to be clear. I I, And and I'm not interested in changing that. Um, Flipping NFTs for profit with a alpha group on discord where we wake up and wait for mint day and then like have little secrets we trade with each other is probably a cool way to make money it's just not something i have any interest in i'd rather spend my time doing other things like making shit um but my understanding is things like crypto coven have an amazing community and there are other projects that do two things probably one is you have to give people a you know people like plants they'll grow in the direction that the lattice goes. And so if your entire conversation in your group of people is about the value of the NFT, people are going to care about the value of the NFT, very likely. And um, some projects with great intention don't do that. They they create little rooms called floor price in their Discord. And they people are funny. It's like gas. They will expand to whatever space you give them. And if you make a room called or a channel called floor price, in many cases, people will go there and talk about that and keep it out of the main room. And like that's a tactical little thing that some people can do. It's certainly not a bulletproof strategy, but it helped. The other thing is just give them a different lattice to grow up. Give them a different identity. Like um, CryptoCoven from the get-go seemed to be about uh, 
some femininity, some community, some interesting new ideas that were emerging, and it wasn't just people talking about money. So you, you have to give people an alternative. Like in a void, people will, you know, assume the shape that they know how to assume. And when they enter an NFT Discord, the assumed shape is, oh, let's let's be obsessed with money and talk about the floor price and blah, 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 blah. And so you must probably give them very specific methods to have other values or other thoughts or other opinions. And I think, like I said, things like Crypto Kevin seem to have done a really good job of it. But yeah. I have not. We have... We have a small Discord community, and I'm using the word community intentionally there because these are people who care about each other. They care about us. They care about everything. I've also had tens of thousands of people in our Discord loosely screaming at me at once about floor price. Like I, I've, I've done both of those, uh, and I quite like the former. I like the small group of people who care about our projects, who want to know how we're doing, not writing GM, but like, how are you? You know. And actually caring about yes. the answer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the theory. I don't remember the author, but there is this, uh, you know, very famous um, sort of um, theory about 1,000 true fans that, you know, you don't really need. It's it's all about the quality of those fans and you don't really need hundreds of thousands of them. If you if you hit that, you know, magic number of one thousand with keeping the, the quality of relationship, then you know, they will go ahead and 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 find the people who will be very similar in in values and and beliefs and and all that stuff. I and think that was uh Seth Godin, the purple cow guy, who was such a big deal in like community and tribal marketing. Yeah, maybe or uh, I I don't remember, so I don't. Uh, yeah, I'll 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 figure out and put it in the show notes. But I think that's that's a really true statement because when you know, as you said, like it's better to have less people around you, but people who actually care and share the same beliefs and values as you, and 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 you you build something together that you truly care about, rather than have all these tens and hundreds of thousand people who are there as long as um, you're you're making them money, right? Uh, so you can kind of, you know, become super popular. Uh, you can be their hero. And then in a matter of uh, just a couple of days, the things can turn around right away. So, so yeah, totally get that. Um, in terms of the mass adoption, I mean, I guess uh, mass adoption has been a talk about you know, starting from the blockchain times, from the ISO times, like mass adoption of crypto was something we were talking about. Now, you know, on top of it, um, there is, you know, this added subtopic of mass adoption of NFTs. Um, and uh, and parallel to that, there is this whole kind of statement that everyone is making that it's still too early um, and all that stuff. So how do you see this evolve in the future? Like, you know, when we say, first of all, like, is mass adoption actually something that may become real? Like, is is this something that is for everyone? Uh, or it's going to stay as a subculture for these, you know, rebels, weirdos, uh, people who, who kind of, you know, I don't know, looking for alternatives, etc. No, I mean, if you think about how much time people spend... Uh, living a digital life these days and this is no longer just the playground of like rich white people or some shit like vast swaths of humanity spend an immense amount of their life uh digitally and we do this thing as humans where we assume the current state of things is the final state of things or that this is that we've achieved some kind of like that there's some absolute truth now we look at the past and we're like oh yeah the waves of time and history and forces of culture and society you know are constantly reshaping humanity and society and these things but for some reason we seem to feel like we've achieved some like apex predator peak state um and the reason well i just don't think that's true i think you know we're just another fleck in the long dust pile of history and so when you live as digital lives as we do, and then you just write off ownership, that could be the shape of the future, but more than likely it's not. More than likely, as we all move online, we've had last 20 years, eh, 25 years, holy shit, quarter century kind of, of the internet doing mass adoption, where you couldn't own things digitally. 
And so again, people just assume that since I haven't owned anything digitally till now, I never will, and thus I don't need to, and that is the shape of the world. I think that's probably reasonably foolish. I think like in 25 years, let alone for the rest of human history, they will talk about the funny time where we didn't own things digitally. This will be like, it'll be like cowboys walking on elevated sidewalks where we're like, oh, that was that interesting historical oddity that was happening at the time. Uh, but no, like if we're going to spend all of our time online, it makes a lot of sense to me that um, we will own things online, digital things. We like ownership. And we live in an interesting time where ownership doesn't matter in the way that it used to. Like my parents' generation essentially defined their value in this life by the car that they bought. The car that they owned was very yeah. critical. The all sorts of things that you own. And 10 years ago, we had the sharing economy, one of the most fucked up misnomers of naming ever. But kids these days arguably don't take value from owning the same things their parents do. They may go spend a fuck ton of money on Yeezys and they have other things they want to own. But ownership and our cultural ideas around ownership change and evolve. They are not the same today as they were 25 years ago, and they're definitely not the same as they were 25 years ago. But I do think ownership matters. I do think people care about ownership. I think what it means to own something or what we care to own and how we define ourselves by what we own is changing. But that doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. That doesn't mean, oh, we don't care about ownership. We care deeply about ownership. We just change what we own, change what we care to own. And I can't imagine that owning digital things when we spend, like you get the notifications from your phone at the end of the week about how many hours you spent on the device every day. That's a fucking yeah. horrifying number. And that's just the phone. That doesn't it's tell scary. me how much time I spent on my computer. So in that world, how am I not going to want to own these things? Seems unlikely to me. Yeah, no, completely makes sense. I mean, many people are, are comparing these with the dot-com era and, um, and from dot com, we we did end up with Amazons and Googles and 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 loads of other companies that kind of you know disappeared. No one even heard about them, right? So more more companies just got bust than than these big players who won and are still around and are very strong. Uh, do you think the next sort of the NFT versions of Amazons and Googles are already here and are going to grow to that thing? Or we're still waiting for some to emerge? Um, probably both. Uh, yeah, probably both. Like there, there is not necessarily a first mover advantage, but there are network effects involved in this kind of business, aka network businesses. And if you have the kind of established head start that some players probably do at this point, not that you can't lose it, but that is literally a head start. It is an advantage in the race. And so the giants of Web3, which we will not call Web3 20 years from now, um, probably a couple of those exist today. And they're, whoever you could think of, it's probably Yuga Labs. It's probably Dapper. It's probably some of these big ones that exist today. And there's probably a couple that are coming up that nobody's ever heard of, right? At the, at the time that you described, dot-com boom, um, Google was there and Amazon was there and Uber wasn't there. Uh, so, you know, there's a bunch of other cool things coming. Uh, but yeah, I think some of, I think some of the big, big, big players of the future are already on the board. I just don't think they're all on the board. Okay. Got it. It's going to be very interesting to observe and see how things seem, you know, develop and, and who's going to still be around, who's going to grow, who's going to just, you know, die off and, and, and what's coming because I feel like, you know, lots of interesting things are going to come because at the moment, apart from several kind of big projects, most of it has been either PFPs or, or crypto art, right? It, those are the, the, the most sort of, you know, popular areas of, of the space at the moment. Uh, but I feel like there are going to be so many others emerging, um, soon as well, which are neither of those two. So it's going to be interesting to see what what kind of new pillars are going to come up um, and and just see how they are going to develop as well. Because you know if 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 these two are already sort of you know have the foundation up and are building and continuing developing, there are some who are just starting, and you know it's it's going to be interesting to see how things develop there as well. So. Um, what what kind of new pillars you're excited about? What well, what are you looking forward and waiting for to develop? Uh, real interoperability. 
when we started this, the idea that um, this was like super powered open source because you had economic alignment along with the open sourciness of things was very interesting. I will build a thing, you will build on top of what I build, I will then build on top of what you build, and that is, and then and then she will build on top of what I built. Like that whole thing is really really cool, and has totally not happened at all. Uh, you know, there's a couple gaming platforms that are trying to be the house for all PFPs and shit. That's kind of interesting, but uh, that is one of the unrealized dreams yeah. of Web three for me is real interoperability, and it's just not something that people talk about. I mean, they might throw that word around or some shit, but nobody's having meaningful conversations about this in this um, web three climate. And that's not because it's a bear market or something like they have not for the last two years. Um, mm. But I think that will come back. And, and I think that will come back because I think it's such a big, big idea. What's worth noting is that this doesn't work well with major IP. Like yeah. we made crypto kitties and very quickly somebody made kitty hats and you could put hats on cats and they didn't ask us and they didn't, they, they just fucking made it. And then you could go to the website and you could buy little stickers of hats and you could put them on your cat and you could, that was cool and neat and interesting. And we we're like, weird, cool. If you try and go put a hat on a Steph Curry top shot, the NBA and all of their gods are going to come squash you. And so at the same time that we are trying to go mainstream by bringing all these major IP, into the space, which will help mass adoption, is very interesting, blah, blah, blah. Also, those um, ecosystem players are uninterested in unregulated interoperability. And yeah. so, of course, the world is middle ground. It doesn't have to be interoperability or like unregulated interoperability or nothing. There can be conditional interoperability or that kind of thing. And I think that will come, and I hope it does, but I'm probably part of the problem by keep bringing these mainstream brands into this fucking space uh and that's okay it's it's interesting you said that because like you know just a couple of days ago there was this huge discussion about moonbirds and and their ip rights turning into uh cc zero right and um and obviously there were many different reactions but everyone was actually discussing it and 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 making it about both right about like you know whether cc0 is is the future in this space or you know whether ip rights actually have any value or like speculating about how many collectors would actually execute their ip rights and did it really matter etc um but um i mean it's another story in terms of how it was communicated and probably it was like more an issue there rather than what actually the the message was about uh, but cc0 is is a huge hot topic in in this space and and many are are really passionately advocating that um and you as you said you work with big brands you're bringing over who obviously you know uh, are uh interested on the other side of the story uh what's your personal position about those uh... <laughs> I think it's interesting, like, to be honest, the vast majority of people talking about these things do not have a horse in this race. And they may own a Moonbird or they may own an NFT, but, like, you're not going to build a brand that matters around your shit. Nope. Your PFP is kind of ugly. Your PFP is deeply bound to that collection. Nobody wants to come to your ice cream store that is themed after your PFP and your NFT collection. Uh, and there are exceptions. Now somebody wants to list Jenkins this and the other ape thing and the, the, the Moonbirds guy. There was a Moonbirds guy who was trying to do a thing, blah, blah, blah. Somebody's trying to make a DJ out of their doodle or something. But like literally on two hands, you can count all the people this directly affects in real life. Mm -hmm. And then on 10,000 hands, you can count the number of people who have an opinion on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is normal. It's just like a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. I think CC zero is interesting. Um, I think CC zero is really interesting, and I think that there are projects and people that will come along in those projects and build things using uh, IP structures and rights that don't make sense to us right now. That will be a very big deal. I one time said to Mad Dog Jones, "As like we're gonna find the next Leonardo da Vinci of a." nft art or some shit and he like interrupted me and he's like there's no leonardo da vinci there's never going to be an elephant again there's only a thousand bees 
And I was like, oh shit, that's actually quite interesting. Uh, so yeah, like the CC0 stuff, I think cool things will happen with CC0 projects. I think, I don't think we're done the discussion of what IP rights can and should look like. Remember what I said before about like everybody thinks they're sort of at the final state of the conversation about whatever yeah. they're having? In two months, somebody's going to come up with something that was not CC0 and be like, this is the fucking truth. And then we'll argue about that. And something interesting will come out of CC0 and a bunch of interesting things won't. And it's just the kneading of the bread. Like, if you zoom out even a little bit, this is not the great debate of NFTs that will break or make this industry. This no, an- yeah, definitely. I just feel like, you know, because we're early, we are in a stage where, like, you know, because there are no certain rules, no ways, everyone is experimenting. There are always these, you know, experiments and discussions and different ways of doing things that are neither right nor wrong, but, like, you know, they are part of the process that may give birth to some new things that didn't ex- exist before and new ways to look at things, which is why this space is very exciting because, you know, there are yeah. always something new to look into and something new to learn and also new ways to 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 look into because like up to now in the traditional world everything seemed to be already figured out and everything had its own rules and and the ways of doing things and the rights and the wrongs and you know common popular opinions and unpopular opinions so everything was kind of structured pretty well and and predictable here it's like such a chaos and and from that chaos we can end up like seeing really interesting things being born and and that's what kind of makes this whole space pretty exciting i think agree Okay, I want to be cautious of your time. Okay. Uh, we're oh, almost yeah. an hour here. So, um, so With a yeah, brief thank, thank you very much for the time. And um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover or anything you would like to see say before, before we part with the viewers here? Mm, check out onironin.io. That's uh, one of our NFT collections. We dropped the companions last night. It's super fun. Uh, be kind to each other and thank you for having me okay awesome thank you very much everyone who was watching so i'll just stop the stream and um and yeah you can always re watch the the replay and i'll also edit out that that part so the the listening in experience will be way smoother so thank you everyone and take care That's all that I had for you today. Thank you very much for listening. I truly appreciate every single one of you. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that would help the podcast grow. And to make sure that you're up to date with my articles as well, please subscribe to my newsletter at anialexander.com backward slash NFT rebels. Take care and I'll meet you in the next episode.